This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 469, for August 12th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Red Hat. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, my dear friends and listeners. This week we have a grab bag, a melange, a set of folderall to talk to you about. It includes, of course, as usual, security flaws, payment systems, and uh, future versions of iOS. This is Glenn Fleischman, in case you didn't recognize my sterling tones, a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me is Susie Oakes, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How's it going? Very, very well, thank you. It's uh, it's finally the doldrums of August are coming. So you know, the only thing that happens is Google announces a massive reorganization of the company into a new mysterious holding company because it's August. Why not? We had the time. <laughs> we'll just file some paperwork. And I want to do a story of the best tweets about that because no one really understood what was happening. But darn if that wasn't going to oh stop Twitter from making so many hilarious jokes. My favorite was from PC World's Ooh. Mark Hockman, who yes. tweeted, I guess the name Umbrella Corp was taken. <laughs> and I don't know, something about it. I read it on the bus and I like burst out laughing and people were like, oh, there's another crazy person on the bus. But it was it was me laughing at Mark. So, Oh, my gosh. Nice well, job. someone asked me, like, which division of Google and this new organization will be in charge of evil since Google does no evil. Like, <laughs> this is, this is We've their, outsourced the evil. <laughs> they're firewalling evil. Well, we don't cover Google on this Our podcast. Our parent company, Evil Corp. <laughs> we don't cover Google too much on this podcast, but we talk about them because they make a lot of stuff uh, for you know iOS particularly, but a lot of Mac users are heavy Google users. It's hard to be in tech and not you know be a, a customer of Google at some in some way or another. That's true. I mean, you know, I didn't even put it on our topic list because I think everyone's going to talk it into the ground because it's just. But I think you know in the end, for Mac people, I don't think it makes a difference. I think you know the the one thing actually I'll bring up this one thing because I know you are a home automation guru and it is your area of interest <laughs> and specialty. Uh, is Nest will be and Dropcam are going to be kicked into one of the separate divisions. Yes. Uh, so that is the only thing that I think is particularly interested. Interesting is, uh, you know, so Google is really going to be software and hosting, right? So it's it's the Google division of what will be Alphabet when this is all done will be uh, search stuff and YouTube and uh, Android. Android, right? So software will their hardware be made in that division? I don't know. Maybe they'll have another subsidiary. I, I don't know. It's, well, they don't make hardware. We're recording they sold. this on Tuesday morning. This broke pretty late on. Yeah. Monday night. And so we kind of got a really sky high, um, you know, we basically got the blog post from Google. That's and right. I, so I still haven't kind of gone back to find the articles of like people explaining what the heck is going on. Well, I, I saw a couple of, charts that yeah. were like, okay, yeah, Nest is on an alphabet and Android is in Google. Um, so it's Sundar kind of a, Pinchai is now the CEO of Google. So oh, which I hear is good news. Congrats, Sundar. Uh, people you are, got a congrats tweet from Tim Cook, which I thought was very nice. So I think this is good news. You look at who's in charge of Microsoft now, Satya Nadella. He is very well respected. I live in the Seattle area, so lots of Microsofties. I hear generally good things about him. I heard nothing good about Balmer for a decade. I mean, nothing about the way the company was run, even while it was minting profit. So, you know, Microsoft has kind of a new leader who's cloud and future-oriented, who isn't tied to the legacy of the past. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Tim Cook, you could argue he's an old-timer at Apple. But he's also, he's you know, he's been forward-thinking. New products, new services, however well they're implementing services. We could talk about Google recognizing that it has one mature business that still makes a ton of money and had a really great quarter. 
they've got a new CEO who's going to be focused on just that and not all the other stuff that Google has been dabbling in or serious about. Uh, this is all seems this seems good news for the future of the industry and people's happy stability of using products, no? Yeah, I don't really know if it's going to change that much for consumers like us. Um, this kind of feels like a business move. But less but distraction, I don't right? understand mm. enough about about stock and business to really know like what it means business wise but yeah that's so but for consumers it it really doesn't sound like it'll be that different well yeah Um, i think think it's distraction though right i mean people have been mm -hmm. complaining about apple like apple's this giant monolithic company doing the work of you know apple's the equivalent of 25 other companies in some ways and one's really big one division the iphone division is big but like you know the google recognizing that maybe google car is not a core part of search. <laughs> it ties in. Like, I understand. So at first I thought it was kind of this ridiculous shuffling. I'm like, mature companies develop subsidiaries. They don't reorganize themselves. But actually, as it settled in, I'm like, you know, this gives them parallel groups that can be working on different tasks, take different investment. But it also means that somebody who's in charge of Google is really thinking just about what's best for that division and people using True. it. So yeah. this could improve. It means more laser beam focus on Android. It means more laser beam focus on search experience and advertising networks and all the other stuff that Google does. So I think it could be a, a net improvement for us um, to have someone focused there. Yeah. Google, um, Google's focused on everything. So <laughs> so it might, yeah, I, I guess it does make sense to kind of silo, the, you know, the, the crazier things a little bit. So people don't think that the same company that's making your, you know, search products is the company that's making your self-driving car. Yeah, and I think we'll that up a little bit. I brought the Nest thing up because home automation, I would have thought that was, uh, you know, it seemed to be a core part of Google's future direction. Now, you know, splitting these into different areas, you're like, oh, now it's like a startup company. Nest was acquired. Now it's Mm -hmm. sort of like a startup that's getting venture funding from the profitable arm of of the parent company. It also means that potentially there'll be more outside development, more acquisitions by individual divisions. So instead of Google buys Nest for X billions of dollars, it'll be, you know, the Nest division of of Alphabet buys whatever or gets a, you know, $5 billion investment, sells 30% of itself to, you know, company Y. So uh, it has and to they become. were already doing that a little bit. Mm-hmm. When Nest bought Dropcam, that was what they said. They were like, Nest is buying Dropcam. It wasn't Google's buying Dropcam. And maybe that was because they learned their lesson. And when Google bought Nest, everyone was like, ah, Google on my wall, like looking at my home, like that's freaky. And now they didn't want you know, <laughs> Google to have like Sauron's eye, like on your mantle, like staring no, at you all might, day. Yeah, I, but you know, Nest is a nice, friendly company. So yeah, Nest will put a camera in your house. That's cracking funny. me up. The more we talk about this, the more reasonable this whole thing seemed yesterday. It seemed ridiculous today. I'm like, well, no, actually, okay. I'm starting to get why they might do this. Like, <laughs> There's a public perception point, but then there's the idea that they can get world-class CEOs in charge of individual divisions who feel like they have power and they're not under someone's thumb. They're Mm -hmm. under the thumb of a holding company. Uh, And likewise, you know, one of the things that's floated that I think is very reasonable is this allows them to acquire Twitter, which is – you know, been discussed uh, as something that could happen. It seems very reasonable at Twitter's current valuation and, and direction. They could acquire Twitter as a freestanding company that doesn't have to be fully integrated and part of and assurance is made. It can really be its own thing. Um, you know, the same token, they could acquire Square as a payment system without it feeling quite as bound up. And maybe, I don't know, with fewer antitrust issues, because there could be Chinese walls set up between companies. I don't even know. But, but uh, 
so uh, we had some follow-up. I wanted to do this is our uh, pre-follow-up. The, the follow-up, uh, we talked a bunch about uh, malware last week. And just after we recorded, uh, I talked to Apple and they gave me some nice information that um, – that much of what was discussed had already been fixed. And so 10.10.5 and 11.0 or 10.11.0 public beta of, um, of OS 10 will have fixes for this log leakage error. That was kind of that, that was a one, uh, bug reported and the firmware bug, uh, or, or flaws. Some of them have been fixed. The developer tells me there are still a lot of terrible problems in firmware. And I believe him, uh, you can, find uh, people looking for it are finding all kinds of issues with uh, bootware, bootstrapping firmware, the old BIOS, which is now extensible firmware infrastructure, uh, or interface rather, EFI, on Apple and uh, universal EFI and other systems. Um, they're not well secure. They don't protect integrity. So uh, it's very easy to do something malicious there. And um, so that is sh that surely there's a lot more work to be done, and I hope Apple will do something like devote the resources to lock it down. Because it's not impossible. It's not like it requires... Uh, you know, designing new hardware. It's really a software issue about how you check the integrity of the thing that boots your machine. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the one of the developers, the, the fellow who, who um, reported a zero day, he reported without disclosing to Apple about this uh, bug that was introduced in, uh, I think it was 10.10.4 that allow, or ten, maybe it was 10. I think it was introduced in Yosemite and he discovered it in 10.10.4, uh, which was, um, it, it, it's a flaw in how, uh, software can write log files and it lets you write like an arbitrary file and gain root access and so forth. Uh, if you have the right, you know, you need a zero day, you need some way to attack the system to install malware that does this. It doesn't do it on its own uh, volition. Uh, you have to be able to install software. Um, but he was very angry at Apple, Susie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he seems pretty angry. And I'm thinking, I yeah, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what benefit that does anybody. He thinks Apple has bad security, which uh, I think it's very. I think Apple's approach to security is good, and their implementation response is very uneven. But he's a security research. I mean, they think everyone has bad security. Yeah, it's true. I just don't. It's like I don't why know, they do what they do? To I don't find know what the getting, bad security. Yeah, I don't know why you. I mean, I don't try not to get angry at companies, and I also even if they have bad security policy, I guess he's hoping that by. I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen some people approach this where they're like, look, we're not going to do what's thought of as responsible disclosure by people who do it and uh, letting people get away with stuff by people who don't. Uh, that. Um, Why do you say he's mad at Apple? What did he do? Well, he, he, he said publicly a number of times he just thinks Apple's security is crap. And so he didn't feel like he owed – Apple anything by giving them advanced disclosure, like 30 or 60 days or whatever, which most, most security uh, researchers uh, who find flaws that are zero day or significant in some way, they uh, typically will disclose to, they'll use some kind of program that a company has. There, there are zero day programs or like bug reward programs you can get from uh, thousands of dollars to tens of thousands of dollars by going directly to companies or zero day initiative and other programs. If you find something that's significant enough, uh, Google famously plays a lot for Chrome sandbox, a uh, sandbox uh, 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 workarounds. Um, and there are contests sometimes for this too. Uh, but even if you're not going to one of these programs, you you know you send a security thing and you have some interaction. And you say, "Look, I found this thing. I think it's really severe, and uh, I am. Uh, I want you guys, you know, to know about it. But I'm going to write about it. I'm going to give a speech at a 
conference or on August 1st, which is 90 days from now, I'm going to disclose it and I think you have time to deal with it. And, you know, and then sometimes the company will say, oh, whoa, whoa, you know, wait, can you give us a little more time? And they negotiate. Sometimes companies are like, oh, you know, thanks for reporting it. We fixed this already. There'll actually be a release out on July 3rd. And if you can hold off until after then, we'll give you credit. Uh, and thanks for you know being responsible. And other companies are like, uh, yeah, we don't think that's important. <laughs> and when you get that, and sometimes it's the same company doing all those things. And when you get the, eh, we don't really care about that issue. We don't think anyone will do that. Researchers at that point are absolutely justified in saying, like, hey, the company's not taking this seriously. We're going to publish the information because they do not plan to make a fix for it. And rather than let criminals and governments and others have uh, unimpeded access to a bug that they may have already found, we're going to let everyone know about it, and that will force their hand. Then the company has to fix it. Uh, but I think those are the scenarios that I think benefit users, because I think when you disclose a zero day without working with the developer, you wind up punish, punishing users, and the company doesn't change. It re, they, they retrench themselves into thinking they're the ones that are you know, hurt in this scenario. And they're like, well, see how that worked. Well, I guess we should just keep doing the thing we're doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, 100 million users could be affected. So, I don't know. That's my take. Um, you want to talk a little bit, uh, we talked about that Android, some Android flaws last week, and I thought it might be worth just uh, updating people um, on that. There was a flaw that affects many, many, many models of Android phones where uh, the proper, a properly crafted multimedia service, MMS message, could uh, cause all sorts of problems to the phone. And what's good is, you know, we were talking about how the fragmentation number of versions out there, and it looks like uh, between software patches and then uh, updating phones that can be updated, with carriers uh, pushing out these updates and, you know, having done so already or in the near future, um, and carriers blocking uh, malicious MMS messages or setting it so that MSS, MMS images don't load automatically, which can trigger the, the exploit. Uh, there's something like maybe 90% of Android phones that are experienced the bug could already be, you know, or will soon be um, immune to it or resistant to it, which seems like a good thing. Oh, good. Yeah. I guess that is an advantage to, I mean, an advantage um, for the problem being MMS related is that also goes through the carriers. So the carriers kind of have two chances to make it right here. They can they can try to get it in the MMS you know area, or they can just push out a software update for your darn phone like they ought to. Yeah, and I think I mean from our colleagues at Greenbot, uh, we you know I think we've been reading that. The, Things that have been promised, like John Gruber <laughs> during Fireball quoted something. I think it was in 2011 in his, you know, Google pledges to work on a process over the next, you know, was 18 <laughs> months to ensure that security. Uh, and it's like, but this time, you know, I think we're getting closer to where uh, it's just it, it's a necessity that there's a pathway for security updates. And we talked about that last week. And I think this it's clear. Um, the industry is feeling it more. Um, yeah. Another thing that happened this last week that's not exactly related is HTC is now worth less as its market capitalization in the stock market than the cash it has on hands. It's, it's the, the stock market values it as a you know, net deficit right now, that like all of its buildings and intellectual property and everything else are actually you know, below, worth less, actually a, a negative versus cash. So, Ouch. Yeah. So there, you know, in the end, there's going to be Samsung and there's going to be um, you know, a handful of other companies making you know uh, it's going to be like tvs it'll just switch the you know they're they're getting more commoditized and the you know you can still buy tvs but they're coming from different companies now so in the phones we're seeing like huawei and xiaomi and 
exactly. those guys are kind of making their push now. But um, I think there's only been a handful Samsung. of big, you know, there was supposed to be this big diversity and there still is. I think there'll be a few carrier or a few handset makers and I think they'll have a little more power to have a security uh, update chain, I think, I hope. I mean, yeah. they need to consolidate and they need to have, have uh, <laughs> things they sell as features. And one of those is, hey, we can actually maintain security. Um I'm really glad I have an iPhone and that Apple does it the way Apple does it because I think that's the way to do it. I tend to agree uh, <laughs> because we haven't had these issues. I mean, and, you know, Apple has certainly had iOS security flaws, but we haven't had anything that's been exploited on a great scale. The closest thing is the flaws that la- allowed and allow jailbreaking are, you know, s- uh, jailbreaking only occurs because there's an exploit someone can take advantage of. And we've talked about before whether that exploit is, you know, it, uh, is it good to jailbreak a phone? Some people say yes, because it means that the avenue through which jailbreaking occurred is no longer available, because once you've jailbroken it, you close that avenue down. I say, because you don't know where the jailbreak uh, hacks come from, and unless there was a way to certify. Like with on the Android side, the Cyanogen mod is like a venture-backed, you know, certified pathway for, um, not certified, it's not certified by Google or anybody, but it's like a well-known commodity. It's a real thing that is releasing, you know, essentially an alternative to the Google branded Android for those devices. There's nothing like that for iOS because it's kind of lurks in the corners. So you can't be sure Mm -hmm. that the jailbreak you get, unless you're sure it hasn't been modified, it comes from a source you trust and you're sure that they got it from sources they trust. So um, wanted to update on Apple Pay because we like to talk about Apple Pay. Um, very small thing is uh, Amex is now allowing corporate cards to work with Apple Pay. Um, yes, they it's a small thing, but it's also, I don't know, I mean, it's at hundreds of millions of cards. I don't know what the quantity is. It's probably huge. Uh, so that brings more people in the system. But I think uh, it's the most popular corporate card. Yeah, so it's on some huge, huge scale, right? Um, and the other Apple Pay related news is, this is um, my, my item for this is currency loses more amperage. Ha, <laughs> ha. Um, we, as, as listeners, regular listeners know, we like to make fun of the current C that's capital C at the end, uh, system that a bunch of retailers developed. And we won't reiterate, it's this wacky process. It's very Rube Goldbergian compared to all of the, uh, mobile payment systems that use NFC that are being developed, including Apple pay, which is already out and Google wallet and Android pay and Samsung pay and all these other things. So, uh, the expiration happened for the agreement among the, the several large companies like Best Buy and uh, Rite Aid and some others that were going to deploy currency and are now years overdue. Uh, and uh, our own Caitlin wrote a story about uh, Rite Aid has Rite Aid has flipped the switch for. Yay! Well, they're going to on the fifteenth. Oh, sorry, that's when the that's when the uh, exclusivity expires in a few days, and they have over five thousand stores in America. Yeah, forty six hundred according to. Oh, sorry, oh, forty six hundred. I'm I'm inflating their numbers. It's a terrible habit. Uh, the thing that I found out in researching this topic in general is there's somewhere between eight to ten million uh, pl- uh, locations that accept credit cards, which in the United States alone, and there's something that's a lot. It's uh, tens of millions <laughs> worldwide. Yeah, it seems a huge amount, and that doesn't include like if you're a small business and you're not a retail operation and you take credit cards. That doesn't include that. This is all like. What about like vending machines that take credit cards? Does exactly. That that? So I don't know how they count. Like if you're at a gas station and the gas station has pumps, an interior, internal part, and like a vending machine outside run by another party that leased to, like is that three locations or one? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, but, I don't know either. But the quantity, that's the numbers that Apple and others have put out 
it's somewhere north of 8 million. And Samsung, with its uh, loop pay thing, its magnetic induction thing that they're planning to add alongside NFC. That thing is cool. It is. Although I was talking to a credit card analyst in, the other day, and she's like, yeah. It's like, she's like, by the time that it's actually out there and working, uh, we're going to have... NFC needed, right? Yeah, NFC yeah. is going to be it's available. It's kind of a workaround, but it's a really cool workaround. It is. It's clever. And it might make sense. Like, I have to think worldwide... Well, worldwide EMV is being used, The uh, which is the EMV doesn't really stand for anything anymore. It used to. That's the chip that goes into to credit cards. EMV is actually in wide use in much of the world. So, uh, and we're getting it in uh, now. You're starting to get chipped cards. So... Uh, yeah, I just got one. Oh, good. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. I'm writing something for a different publication, for Fast Company, not competitor for Macworld, uh, about um, how it works. There's been a lot of weird coverage I've talked about in previous podcasts about what's actually going to happen. And uh, it, so there's this, there'll be this point where you can walk up to walk up to a terminal and you can have an iPhone and an Apple Watch and a credit card with a chip in it. And some credit cards, probably not in the U.S., will also have NFC in them. So, mm -hmm. and then some terminals you'll go to and the merchant won't even though, so October 1st is when liability shifts from the bank to the merchant. If uh, for any credit card that has a chip in it, the merchant is now liable for fraud if they don't have a chip reader in their store. Wow. I know. So, but, and so in uh, this researcher, I taught, I was a credit card analyst. She said only about 59% of retailers will have uh, chip readers by the beginning of 2016. So mm. a lot of small shops won't. And then you have Square and P PayPal are both introducing combination EMV uh, so chip readers that also do NFC for Apple Pay and any other NFC, you know, Google Pay and everything else, or Android Pay rather. Um, so there's going to be this huge foment. So you'll walk into a store and you'll have your card and your phone. And some stores you'll walk into, you'll be able to tap your phone or tap your card if it's got an NFC chip or use the chip or whatever. Others you go to and they're like, no, you got to swipe your card. And you're like, wait, I got a chip in my card. It's like, no, it's also got a magnetic strip. You can swipe it. I'm like, oh, okay. And then you swipe it and it'll be like an old style transaction. That's going to go on for years. But yeah. what's going to happen is a bunch of the stores that don't switch from swiping are going to go out of business because they're exposing themselves to so much fraud. They don't have protection anymore. So someone's going to walk in and buy $500 or $1,000 or something with a stolen card, swipe it, and uh, those will be the weak points. Maybe they'll finally start matching up your signatures again. I feel like they used to do that more, and now they don't really check. Like I don't even sign the backs of my cards, and they've never like challenged me on it. They might ask like, for I'll, I'll ID sign the receipt, more. and they like sometimes they'll look at the back of the card and just be like, "Oh, it's not signed," and they just hand it back to me. They well, you can erase like, those too oh. and re-sign them. So criminals do that. Yeah. But the, the thing that I think that what'll happen is I suspect like there'll be more places that are like for transactions over twenty-five bucks. If they only have a swiper, they're going to ask to see ID, and mm, maybe a they second. do ask to see ID sometimes. Yeah, I've had, I've had that. I mean, I sign this most of the places. Uh, I just sign, and they don't care, or it's below the limit. But it's going to be kind of going to be kind of confusing. So there's a Rite Aid right by my house, and it Apple Pay worked the first day, and then they turned it off the next day. I went and used it on the first day, and they were all very confused. And then the, the next day they turned it off because they were in this currency deal. <laughs> oh, yeah, deal. yeah. They, so, they didn't know they so had it it's, on. <laughs> it's kind of exciting to me that it's going back on. I put a picture on my Instagram last night of my son and I had walked down to Rite Aid after dinner because they have an ice cream counter now. They just renovated our Rite Aid. Ooh. They completely gutted it. It was open the whole time. Um, and they, they redid it and it's very nice. And they put in like a real legit ice cream counter with oh ice cream God. and cones and stuff. And he didn't believe me the whole time we were walking there. He's like, they have cones, they have cones, mommy. And I'm like, yes, they have cones. I'll make you a cone. And he's oh like, 
I hope they have chocolate. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, I think they'll have. So we went and got a chocolate cone at Rite Aid. So now I'm really excited that we can do that. And I don't need to bring my wallet. You just bring your watch, right? Just walk <laughs> Just bring around. my watch. You're yeah. going to be, you're Susie Footloose free. Just walk there's, around Now there's the two because there's a, there's a Starbucks on our little street too. So two businesses I can pay with my Apple Bay. It's, it's starting. It's growing. Finally. It's great. Yeah. Fine underscore or underline. Because I don't use it that much because there's like a, a lot of places don't. You know, like I don't shop at a lot of the places that have it. I don't shop at Whole Foods and and um, Trader Joe's. I guess has it, but I don't. I only get there a couple they times added it. a month. They added yeah. it. And they were confused. Mm-hmm. Also, some places I I did almost a test where I was like, "Hey, does this work?" And they're like, "We don't think so." No, I don't think so. And they'd be like, "Boop." And they're like, "Oh, I guess it does work." Yeah, uh, but a they, lot of times it just works. Yeah, like when you see the little the little contact payment thing, it looks like a Wi-Fi symbol on its side. A lot of times it'll just work unless they've gone in and purposely like disabled Apple Pay. It doesn't have to officially support Apple Pay. I've used it in the back of cabs. I've used it oh. in uh, our soda machine before they, you know, Apple was like, it works in soda machines now. I'd already been buying soda with it for a while. So, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I like it. There's a lot of room it, to grow, to though. As I think as Apple's count is now over a million locations, I believe. I think they'd said 1.1. I forget. I think it's crossed a million. But, you know, there's still 7 to 9 million, depending on how you count it, more locations to go. And it hasn't and even been a year. It's been no time at all. No, it's been pretty It's been pretty fast. It's uh, it's But it's weird because the merchants should have been investing. This is that thing like, okay, so I knew a guy in the securities industry – or I bet is a brother or a friend of mine. I talked about a wedding before Y2K. And I said, what's what's going on with Y2K? He's like, oh, we don't have just Y2K. We have stock market decimalization because the stock market used to have fractions, like one-eighth, and they were switching to decimal points. They had the euro. Mm. They had Y2K all happening <laughs> at once in his industry. And he said, none of it involves revenue. It's all entirely preventative and necessary and mandated. It's There's no money. And so the same thing, this deadline for it's like avoiding liability is actually money. But yeah. you can't convince, especially a small merchant. You know, I had a conversation with Square. I may have mentioned this last week. And and it's very interesting that they are they are supremely dedicated to the small merchant getting this new equipment because they think it's a big advantage. They think it's, you know, it's going to be the thing like, oh, Rite Aid has – it makes you more willing to go to Rite Aid. They have the ice cream counter and you can use Apple Pay. So it's, it seems like a simpler encounter. But it's also, I think, for a small merchant, like it is such a better experience to go in and tap – when you know it feels it, it puts the small merchant on a level playing field with a big merchant, mm-hmm. and the other part will be when Square. I don't know if they're doing this. I don't think they've announced it, but like affinity cards for small merchants. I was reading up on it, and there are programs that let you do that, but it's complicated through existing point of sale systems. But if Square were to let individual, they have something now. I know there's like a Square Wallet thing, but if um, I'm just thinking about being able to have affinity programs that maybe tie together merchants or whatever, and if all the transactions are through a new system that's developed from scratch. It just seems like an easier thing. We're going to see that uh, soon with Apple Pay too, right? Affinity programs will get built in so we can get points. Points and Yeah, they're putting some of that in in iOS 9, right? They're having... They're putting in... um, Yeah. So my Kohl's card, when you go to Kohl's, there's a... There, there's a credit card, obviously. Every store has its own credit card. And then they make more, you know, financing you the things than they do actually selling you the things. Ooh. So that's why they're always trying to get you to get a credit card. Um, but then there's also just a, a member card that isn't, you know, financial, but it's just for points and coupons and cash back and stuff. So I have that. So I, I think that's coming to Apple Pay in iOS 9. That That'd is my great. understanding. I have a pile of those. And 
occasionally they pay off like um, there's a, a movie theater chain that national, but they the, my favorite theater locally because they have free parking. The theaters are nice. It's really well run. It's really clean. Um, it's where I want to take my kids, where I go see. They're not the most expensive place in town. Their seats are comfortable, blah, blah, blah. So I go there, and they have a chain. They've got a bunch of places in, even in the Seattle area. And at some point, I discover they have a program. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be in a program, whatever. And I'm like, oh, it's actually worthwhile. So I get points from them. And, you know, I actually you earn free tickets. Like, there actually are rewards that are worthwhile. And I'm like, oh, put that in my phone. Like, let me just charge and have it reference my my card instead of having to... Uh, to do more, I don't want to do work. I don't want to carry an actual physical card or a number. Yeah, I don't carry any of those cards. I always look it up by phone number. Yeah, so this will save me a big step of not having to type in my phone number or remember if it's my phone number or my husband's phone number. Or so. gas affinity programs. Um, we have a chain up here, a Kroger chain. Uh, it's QFC uh, division of the Kroger chain. Uh, Fred Meyer. Um, they have this program. We buy a lot of stuff at Fred Meyer and QFC. So we got, I just got 70 cents off a gallon of gas uh, by, you know, the points we earned in a given month. So it's huge. You know, I saved like eight bucks on filling up the car and uh, totally worthwhile. But I'm always like, you know, we didn't, we had the little cards and the barcode and now I have to order the phone number and we changed our number. We got rid of a number. And it's like, ah, um, you know, the, uh, the issues of everyday life. All right. So let us uh, take a pause so that I may thank this week's sponsor, a company you may have not heard of, but they're everywhere. Susie, they're everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank Red Hat, a company that underpins a lot of what makes the internet go. So, you know, Red Hat is run uh, as its uh, basis as open source software. And, uh, you know, people, I think, generally recognize that open source software is a big a part of the technology that runs the world now. You know, a lot of stuff that you find in Apple software, Android is, uh, you know, mostly or entirely open source. There's there's so much out there that runs devices and servers and so forth. And the, the most successful open source project of all time, Red Hat would maintain, is a little thing called the internet. And uh, there's lots of different variations of things that are out there. But what Red Hat offers is it's not just uh, open source, because you can get that anywhere. You can get what Red Hat offers for free and pay nothing. But that's not what you want. What you want when you're running servers is you want support. Red Hat started with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and today they certify and support application development, storage, and cloud infrastructure for every conceivable enterprise deployment. They're putting themselves behind it to provide you the kind of help you need without uh, having to rely solely on your own devices. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange, DreamWorks, each and every airline, healthcare company, and telecom giant, and the Fortune Global 500, they all rely on Red Hat. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 are Red Hat customers. And why is that? Because they get the powerful, constantly improving innovation of open source without the risk of doing it alone. It's just that simple. Red Hat is enterprise software that is trusted in the world's most demanding data centers. And you can find out more about Red Hat by visiting redhat.com. And thank you to Red Hat for being our sponsor this week. So, uh, have some kind of a, a bit of roundup of other things going on in the world of tech. That was all actually follow-up of sorts from things mm -hmm. we discussed before. <laughs> and uh, now let's go Lots of follow-up. Uh, Wi-Fi call calling and Wi-Fi assist. We had a story about that upcoming in iOS 9. Now, Susie, do you use Wi-Fi calling? I forget if you're an AT&T. You're not a T-Mobile customer. You're I am still AT&T. AT I'm thinking about switching over to T-Mobile, but I haven't actually done it yet. So, yeah, I'm still an AT&T. And my Wi-Fi is a lot better than my cell reception. Um, I was, I've been tempted to get one of AT&T's microcells, which yes. kind of does this on a local level. It's a thing that you plug into your network, and then it um, will 
just route, you know, it, your phone calls will go through this microcell instead of going through the cell network. I live in a hill, like on a hill, and the, the cell reception is kind of crappy. But I haven't gotten it yet. They they charge for it, which seems really mean. Yes. But um, when I was talking to them on the phone about something unrelated, oh, no, I was upgrading my phone, and they were trying to get me to get a different plan. I was like, no, my plan's fine. And they were like, how's your reception at home? <laughs> and I said it was crappy. And they were like, oh, if you call this number, maybe we'll get you a Microsoft for free. And I oh. just haven't, I haven't bothered. Because I've paid them, like, billions of dollars over the you know tenure of our relationship i've been an at&t subscriber since like 2003 and you know yeah, you probably the, paid the them service like $10, has been good enough i guess but yeah. yeah yeah they 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 could give me a microcell and be just fine so um it would help but yeah too, I, I might it, switch to t-mobile i don't know i like their plans better it offloads uh from their network too so it actually would help mm-hmm. them and yeah it, it helps them i'm using the bandwidth that i pay for exactly to make my phone that i pay them to have work to make it work better because they can't make it work good enough like it just seems so unfair <laughs> i forget but. if they're the ones depending on uh, uh, different carriers all offer or each carrier i think still offers a microcell of some kind and some of them you're giving them permission to let other people nearby make calls uh, Oh, no, no. Yeah, although there's limits. Like, they'll only allow two or four simultaneous calls over it, and if you get the priority, so if someone else is on it, it'll bump them off to a cell and so forth. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I thought there'd be more of it. In fact, there was a, a lot of people in the industry thought microcells were actually going to be the solution for cellular coverage, especially for high-speed cellular coverage. Uh, uh, for uh, uh, But it just hasn't materialized that way. And, you know, the thing that's funny is uh, voice is kind of a ridiculous thing. Like voice is the only thing you're using cell for now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and once, once the industry finally gets its act together years after they were supposed to, so that we have voice over LTE, V O L T E. Uh, so that voice is entirely carried over LTE networks as sort of, I mean, it's all pure data, but right now, you know, so when you're using, uh, uh, for the most part, when you're using a Verizon or Sprint network, voice is a 2G service. That's why your data stops when you're using voice on those phones, unless they're a two-radio phone, which uh, some are. I can't remember. Does Apple? Apple still has that issue, right? They did not release a two-radio iPhone. Now I can't remember. I think that's oh, right. When you're Verizon using iPhones, if you're making a phone call, it can use Wi-Fi, but it know. can't use 4G or 3G data. I believe that's still the case. I should know that. I don't know either. I think it's still the case. But the, I think Verizon or Apple punted because 4G was supposed to solve that, or uh, LTE was supposed to solve that problem. There'd be a voice over LTE standard that would be pure data. So you'd be using 4G cell data and 4G voice, and it would go over the same conduit. And, and uh, AT&T backs off to 3G. When you're making a phone call, uh, or uh, no, I'm sorry, it can use, yeah, it uses a combination of 3G and 4G. So like AT&T backs off when you're doing voice as well, which you don't notice because you're talking over voice. So the idea is that everything comes to this new faster network, but the standards were not set. They were not set to be interoperable and we're finally starting to see it. So occasionally, do you make a phone call uh, to somebody else and you get this crystal clear, weirdly good cell call? Have you no. had that happen yet? I've had it happen a couple. <laughs> it has all the things. You have to be on the right. You have to be an iPhone 6 or certain models. It has to be the same carrier. It has to, uh, you have to both be an LTE and blah, blah, blah. When you do it, you're like, oh, this is Skype quality. This is like best Skype quality instead of cell phone quality. So you will hear more of that in the future. And there will be interoperability uh, across cellular networks. And we should start seeing it in earnest. It's supposed to happen this year. It's been rolling out. And probably by early 2016, you'll hear it a lot of the time when you're calling modern smartphone to modern smartphone. But um, in the meantime, Wi-Fi calling, this is the uh, thing that T-Mobile has been doing for years in some form, and Apple only added relatively recently. Um, so what's the news? Is AT&T 
apparently is going to uh, add AT&T Wi-Fi calling. is going to support it, Wi-Fi calling in iOS 9, and um, but we don't know yet about Verizon. Yeah, I wonder if they're staking on voice over LTE because that fits their kind of – their very cellular approach uh, to the world. AT&T has always had a better – approach to Wi-Fi because they used to have a much more limited network. So Wi-Fi was an important way for them to extend um, and support users. It's actually weird given the way AT&T's network originally was that they didn't adopt and embrace this earlier, but I don't know. The other thing is, now have you, uh, Wi-Fi Assist, I've, I've been reading about that and I, I think that's going to be interesting as well because you have bad cellular and good Wi-Fi. A lot of people have... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, have the same scenario where, or sorry, have bad Wi-Fi and they have good cellular, but they use Wi-Fi preferentially for data because it's cheaper or free. Um, Wi-Fi Assist is kind of an integrated approach that's supposed to be best of both worlds. Yeah, this will help you when you're on a really crappy Wi-Fi network. So sometimes there's those Wi-Fi networks that are kind of everywhere, but they're not the same everywhere. So like Xfinity Wi-Fi, um, I buy my internet through Comcast so I can log on to any Xfinity Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, the bus that I commute in in the morning has Wi-Fi. Ooh. So I've connected to that network in the past. But, you know, sometimes these networks don't really have any internet in them like you looks like you're connected but nothing loads and you're just kind of waiting um especially on the bus and sometimes also with the xfinity if you're far away like the the network will show up and your phone wants to connect to it but nothing's really happening and then i either have to go in and like tell it to forget that network and just stop connecting to it altogether or i'll just turn off wi-fi for a while and just you know go with the lte network which is usually faster um, but then you have to remember to turn Wi-Fi back on later. A lot of times it'll prompt you. It'll say, hey, location services are more accurate with Wi-Fi. And then you go, oh, yeah, I have my Wi-Fi off for most of the day. So what Wi-Fi Assist will do is we'll kind of just take over in those situations. And if you're connected to some Wi-Fi but the you know the bits aren't really flowing, it'll just uh, it'll switch, over, switch you over to cellular and you won't have to intervene. I love that. The only downside would be is if you have a limited cellular plan and you wind up um, yes. burning cell. Because, you know, there's still issues. If you start a task on Wi-Fi, like you're downloading a podcast uh, or music or some other thing where you say don't use cellular, and then how will Wi-Fi Assist interact with that? Will it correctly pause as you switch back and forth, or will it seem like Wi-Fi? Um, this comes back again to the fact that that even though we have limits on cellular in a lot of places, people now have caps or overage charges or something else on their broadband that we don't have tools for in the OS that help us keep within those. I think that's mm-hmm. It's getting better. You yes. can now turn on and off cellular data like per app, which is really, really nice. Yes. And so, and I, I assume this Wi-Fi assist thing will be a toggle somewhere. You know, do you, do you want me to switch you from Wi-Fi to cellular when the Wi-Fi is really bad? Um, that, that should be a preference because, yeah, a lot of people are on cap plans and this, this would be bad when you're on a plan where you have to watch your data. You don't want your phone just using data capriciously when you don't oh, know about it and you haven't told it to. It'll also burn the battery too because if you're using Wi-Fi, mm, Wi-Fi yeah. is to, if you're having to use two radios and it's monitoring on both, uh, it'll do that. I'm going to assume, I'm going to make a terrible assumption that um, Wi-Fi Assist probably does this thing. So you know when you connect to a Wi-Fi network, the first thing you're 
Mac or iOS device does is try to look up the apple.com domain name service value. It's like, what's the IP address? And if it can't do that, then it knows it's on a portal or something else is wrong and it tries to pull up a portal page and it displays it as a a pop-up thing or a, you know, a interim sheet. Uh, And that's its little clever workaround. So I'm going to guess that Wi-Fi Assist probably does something the same where like if the uh, the system notices it can't make a connection, it'll try to do a lookup and then go, okay, well, we're not on the network, so now it's okay to switch over, but let's keep monitoring and see if the network uh, comes back. Because uh, it's, a, it's a funny little trick, but uh, it's what happens in the background. Um, Wi-Fi Assist, I like it. Uh, iPad Mini 4, some information coming from typically good sources that uh, the new one's going to be a little different. Have you been following this story? I'm... Uh, I am not an iPad mini owner, so I am less interested in it. However, a lot I of I love like the it. iPad mini. It's my iPad of choice. Really? I'm actually, yeah. Oh, man, I love it. I, yeah, I, I've fallen in love with the, the iPad mini 2, the first one that went retina, and I have not gone back. It's the best. I'm not sure why I like it so much. It's just so small, and it's it's light, and it lasts forever, and all the great things about an iPad. But, you know, a little smaller, easier to put in any bag. Um, I don't really miss the extra screen size. So anyway, the, the, the rumors about the iPad mini 4 is that it's going to be really, really thin. It's going to be <laughs> like iPad Air thin. It'll be the iPad Air mini Air, um, which is great. Um, you know, that's not really super earth shattering. Like every iPad gets a little bit thinner. So um but it might, it'll, you know, it should get better cameras. All the things you would sort of expect. This this rumor is pretty, pretty not surprising. It's like, okay, it's going to get a better rear-facing camera mm-hmm. and a laminated display with anti-reflective coating, and it could get two gigabits, two gigabytes of RAM. Um, but we don't know about force touch or. Uh, that's it. So yeah, um, it won't get the multitasking tools that are in iOS 9. So if you're using your iPad more for work, the iPad Air is going to be more flexible. Um, the iPad Air 2 can do that really cool split screen thing. And, um, but the iPad mini can do, can do, um, picture in picture and the slide over. It just can't do, it just can't do the split screen. So unless, you know, you really want to run two apps side by side, I I really like the iPad mini. I don't know. I don't know, know why I like it better than the Air. I was I was always a little dubious about the camera functionality on on uh, small devices and whatever. Then I got the twelve inch MacBook and the terrible camera on it actually bums me out. So bad. It's yeah. so bad. I was using. Um, I don't use FaceTime that much, and I'm using it more lately. And I'm like, the low light conditions are bad. It's pixelated. It's really crummy compared to any previous. I mean, I had a 2011 MacBook Air, and I don't know if I had a better camera, but it certainly did better low light. Work, yeah, you so. do much better FaceTime on your on your phone or your iPad than you would on the new MacBook. I may have to do that next time. The problem is the MacBook has a hinge. Yes. <laughs> the other, I gotta it find stays where you put it. So here's you, what you do. You take your iPad, you put it like on your MacBook screen, and then you use oh, your hinge, and here's your MacBook as a little stand brilliant. there. brilliant. Life hack. Life hack. <laughs> I use, I use my expensive computer. As You've a been life hacked. That's right. Uh, let's see. Mac Keeper, uh, not our favorite piece of software. Uh, the most popular question I get at Mac Time One is, how do I remove Mac Keeper? Why is it in my machine? And in fact, uh, recently, uh, when that um, the malware was discovered in the wild, that uh, it was an adware installer. Uh, that Apple, uh, it actually. When I just, hear adware installer. I think Mac Keeper. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, they've got to basically um, 
whatever they're doing, whether it's worthwhile or not as a piece of software, their their affiliate program is ridiculous. And that's how they get people to buy it. And whatever control they're exercising, however much they claim they're doing something, they're not. Because, you know, all the scammy adware installed for Mac uh, installs MacKeeper. So they're not vetting their network. Period. Whatever they say. Uh, they have like a bounty program. They say yeah. that this is, I mean, because the, the current... Uh, company in charge of MacKeeper bought it from another company, and they said that they're still like they kept the affiliate program. They didn't just cancel it, which you know they could have done. Um, they're keeping it, and it's it's got a really big payout, um, more than a lot of other affiliate yeah, it's, programs. It's so, every motivation to take the yeah. money and run. And they don't, you know, if you don't vet these programs, they let people register, the people distribute adware at, at downloading sites or through other means. They get the money, they get the deposit, and then. Uh, Mac keepers, oh, you guys are illegitimate. We're canceling you. Great. So they just update the software. They form a new entity. They register again because it's not being vetted. Yeah. They, you know, They're trying on, to on. shove the toothpaste back in the tube. And it's like, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone hates it. You, I don't even know why they bought it. They should have put they, out new software under a new brand and just started over. There's a lot of software out there that purports to clean your Mac. And some of it actually does a reasonable job. Some of it is essentially non, it's just it doesn't do almost anything, does something, but nothing useful. And for the most part, because we have, uh, for the most part, there's very little on your Mac these days that will slow it down unless you've got cruft from early releases. So if you get a clean your Mac kind of software, a cleaner package, it has to be able to go in and find files left over from previous things that you're not using anymore that have some system impact and remove them. And occasionally I'll find some weird, you know, K text or KX file that's like from something I'm like, oh, that's the problem. And I remove it and it fixes some problem because it's been there mm -hmm. for five years and it's still patching the kernel. I'm like, I don't need a kernel extension for software, you know, a, a Canon scanner I haven't used since 2009. <laughs> uh, but so the, but the, uh, the latest news is that uh, people can file a claim to get their money back. Um, there's a legal settlement going on about previous issues that we've written about before. So people who believe they were charged for MacKeeper incorrectly can apparently file against a fund that will be that's going to be established, which is a good thing. Yeah, and you should. Yes, and just make, make them give you your money back. Anyone who is intelligent, good-looking enough to listen to this podcast knows only download software from the developer site or from Apple. Don't go to these other sites to find software. And also, the thing I keep telling this has happened to family of mine is is. Uh, you should stick a note on any family member you have or even friend who you don't think is sophisticated enough to make the decision. They may be perfectly sophisticated. They may be Rutherford P. Mannerborn and wear a top hat. And yet when they go online, they're a yokel. They're like, I don't know what I'm insulting yokels now. I know plenty of great yokels, but they're like, I, they told me to put <laughs> four, Glenn, they told me to punch in my credit card because my machine was infected. And I gave them $495. Like, no, don't do that. It's like, my, my thing is never give money to anybody who asks you for money online unless you initiated the connection and you know exactly what you're getting. And it seems like a basic lesson, but I feel like it's something we as more sophisticated users who've been around the block who know a little more about, you know, or, or more cynical, um, there's never a reason to give money to anybody online. I mean, never, unless you're actually engaged in a transaction you initiated or in control of and did purposely, you know, absolutely that the site you're, in, you're dealing with is the right one. But that's how hundreds of millions of dollars are stolen from people. And I feel like we have a burden to tell other people about it, I think. Testify, Susie, testify. Okay. Um, Finally, I think our last item is um, Verizon is changing the way it's uh, structured its plan. It's more like AT&T Next, which I have. Um, the thing that confused me, so they're dropping family plans, essentially, and the new plan uh, will not be cheaper. 
<laughs> Which seems to be against the trend, but it means you can upgrade faster. That, that seems to be the, the uh, thing here is you don't have to pay an upfront fee for the phone. You're, uh, you pay it over time. And then at a certain point, m before the phone is technically paid off, you can do a trade-in and get a new model. So people who want to do a cycle of phones. You're like leasing the phone. It's like a car lease. That's what it felt like. Right. It's like zero down. 24 months, no interest. What and then, do I have to do to put you in a new phone today? Yeah, and if you do a shorter term, so you do, a, I don't know, you can look at our article oh about God, it, but there's too like... many miles on this phone, I'll never be able to turn it back in. <laughs> I tried. You're such a good infomercial. So. <laughs> what would it take to get you into this phone? I'm really like on this uh, car analogy. It works. Yeah, <clears throat> this does not, I don't know, like the... It, they say that, I mean, our headline is like, they're trying to simplify the plans, but this does not seem simpler to me. I guess it does... But the, I think getting rid of family plans might be a mistake because just in my experience, the family plan is the thing that's keeping me from switching. <laughs> um, it used to be that the um, the early termination fees kept you from switching. You know, you'd have two years and you're like, OK, I can't switch for two years. My contract's not up. I still got another year on my contract. Now the carriers are, you know, phasing out these contracts and – there's and and they're also paying off each other's early termination fees. If you go to T-Mobile and you're like, yeah. "Hey, I'm stuck on Verizon," they're like, "No problem. Or we'll just give you a gift card and we'll pay <clears throat> pay that right off for you." Phone's worth enough too. You have a three hundred dollar termination fee, and your phone's four hundred dollars because it's a year old. You can just you know get that money back too. Yeah. So the only thing that's keeping me on my AT and T plan right now that I have, it's not the contract, and it's the fact that my whole family is on it, and I would have to switch all of us uh, at the same time. And that just seems like too big of a burden. I'm just too lazy to deal with like what that would look like. So, <laughs> so if there's no more family plans and it's just me and I can just wander into, you know, another carrier store and be like, hey, what kind of phones do you have? Like, what kind of deal can you make me? I'm a person you want. And they're all just like, you know, trying to steal each other's subscribers. So... Yeah, I, I think getting rid of the family plan might might be a they might regret that, but who knows? They're they'll change it all in six months. It's it's the the uh. <laughs> the phone plans are getting so confusing. I was joking that you need a broker. It's going to be like buying insurance. Like you're going to need to sit down with someone who's like, okay, what 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 do you need, and try to help you figure out the best thing for you. Yeah, I like think uh, maybe travel agents can. This can be their new thing. There's no apples to apples for Apple devices no, anymore. Oh, it's so tough. It's I've I've looked at it too. I mean, I've been following cell plans for years and years. I've written a lot about them, made charts and so forth. And the last time I was just going through, it's like it's still it's hard. Uh, because they're building in these monthly fees. So it used to be that you paid the carrier what was supposedly a monthly fee for using the phone, but it was built in. And it didn't go away when you paid off the phone. If you paid 100% mm -hmm. of the cost of the phone after you know three years, they still charge you for the next five. Yeah, people are like, I've had this phone for five years. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, because you're still – you paid it off two, three years ago and you're still – paying it off. So, so the acknowledgement here is if you decided to use a phone for four years, you'd pay it off in two. You'd pay the full cost of the carrier and then you would be paying less after that. Yeah, uh, that's good. But most people, phones are not designed, I would argue, based on my experience with phones, uh, they get a lot of wear and tear and they're not necessarily <laughs> Mine designed. Mine sure do. Yeah. So, I mean, a four-year-old phone is not unreasonable, but I think you see relatively, I don't want to say relatively few, they go into third markets, they get repaired, they go mm -hmm. into uh, you know developing country markets. And, uh, you know, you can have a uh, where they get cheaper and cheaper because they're more and more beat up, but they still work. And you can repair yeah. almost everything in them. You know, you get them off to China and they can get the screen for $6 from the factory. Someone gets it from there instead of, you know, 60 bucks here. Uh, yeah, but I, I think I'm – I feel like I'm stuck on AT&T because 
um, they instead of that rollover thing, even though it's a monthly rollover, we barely use any cell data. So for us now, uh, we have all this extra like capacity. Like we are getting essentially, we have a 10 gigabyte plan, which was already discounted because we got in some grandfathered family plan deal. And now we get all the unused data roll, rolled over. So in any given time, we have like 15 to 18 gigabytes of data in a month and we're only paying for 10. So I think we may be in the sweet spot. I got a new phone. My wife took my old phone and I have the, I have an iPhone six. And um, so I'm paying that off on the next installment plan, but I don't know when we'll next get a phone. Like if I have to get one for work, um, you know, writing here at uh, fine Macworld, I, I will, but I don't know that the next iteration this fall will be something that I need for writing about. Cause I don't think there'll be a flagship feature like Apple pay or uh uh, force touch. touch. Force touch. Yeah, I don't mean right. Force touch is not really right. Enough people write about it. I mean, and Apple if they pay- put it in the iPad too, you can just get the iPad. Yeah, exactly. I got an I got an iPhone six almost entirely because of Apple Pay. I'm like, you know, I'm going to write a lot about this, and I have. It's been very useful, and I like using it. But it wasn't necessary to my life. I mean, a lot of no. tech isn't. But like, <laughs> most of it isn't. It's a That's secret. the sad truth. <laughs> if you've lasted this long in the podcast, nothing we, have a we se- do matter. We have a secret. None of this matters. No. It's so true. If We've- it all disappeared tomorrow. Tomorrow, everything would be fine. We've pulled the veil <laughs> off. Yeah, it's like we're not, you know, in case it would, this is not a cure for Hug malaria. Your children. This is it's not a cure over. for malaria. It's not a cure for cancer. It's uh, just uh, useful for communication. It's efficient. But it's a really nice phone. It is, it is. But the iPhone <laughs> 6 Plus S, what are they going to call it? Success. Yeah, I don't know. Success. We don't know. Success. Success. Macworld UK, bless them. I love them. They have. All these, they do like a, a rumor thing and then they'll just, they'll put anything in there and then they'll just keep updating it. They have three separate rumor articles for the iPhone 6S, the iPhone 6C, and the iPhone 7. That's Because they're not sure which one, you know, it's, it's going to be and they're not sure which one you're going to Google trying to find their articles. So they've just, they're covering all the bases. They're gonna, I've, I've been calling it the iPhone 6S, but, you know, I don't know what they're going to call it. Here's my take. They're going to call it a 7. And you know why? Because... They want to get to eight as fast as possible. Eight is a very lucky number in China. So they want to have an iPhone 8 next year because that will sell well in China. And then they're going to keep that 8 for a long time. They're going to be an 8S, 8S plus. Uh, and I'm, I'm not really kidding. I mean, this is like, you know, you That's understand call. other markets. And it's like, you know, there will be no iPhone 13. Uh, there'll be no iPhone with certain other numbers, but uh, I forget if seven is unlucky. Is there any major culture in which that's unlucky? It's not great in Western culture, but I don't think it's I know per four se unlucky. is unlucky in Korea. Oh, interesting. My uncle was married to a very nice Korean lady, and they bought a house, and the house number was four four four. Oh and no! She, he had to get it changed. He had to go to the city and be like, "Can we change it?" Oh my it was gosh. a duplex, so yeah. I think they stuck the other you know part with four four four, and they got a new number for the other the other half. That's that very sweet. Live what in. a nice thing. Yeah, it was very nice. I can understand that. I mean, like superstition is one thing, but there's just that like every time you look at it, it's saying like danger, danger, danger. Yeah, it'd be door. like if you lived, you know, if you were very Christian and you lived in a house that was six six six, like yes. it wouldn't you know mean that you know demons were going to possess you, but it would make you uncomfortable. Well, it'd be, it's even worse. It's like the house was called Devil, Devil, Devil. <laughs> we are living. Live, That's live, what live. my house is called. <laughs> devil, 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 Satan Lane in Helton, America. Uh, right. Well. Um, that's not, unfortunately, <laughs> that's not our address, but we've really gone off the rails. Oh, this it's good. Well, if anyone's lasted this long, they know what they, they know what they give to. Well, I think we've gone, yeah, this has been our roundup week and, uh, because <laughs> you know, Hey, it's, uh, it's finally it's summer and only Google decides two major things in the, in the Matthew middle. Matthew Panzerino tweeted yesterday. He was like, thank you news gods for this August offering. That's right. It's, you know, it's a little week. We'll have a week of, uh, Google alphabet and then we'll go back to, uh, sleeping in the hot sun, I hope. And, uh, 
working hard. So I, I want to thank this week's sponsor, Red Hat, who you can find at redhat.com for more Red information Hat. about their fine enterprise managed data center offerings. And uh, Susie Oaks, great to talk to you again. You too, Glenn. Pleasure. And I have been Glenn Fleischman. I have been and always remain your Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And this has been episode 469 for August 12, 2015 of the Macworld podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>